Our children are dismissed to their class. Follow the leader. If you have a Bible with you this morning, please open to John chapter 4. We'll be looking at two uh, short portions in this story. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are concluding an in-depth look at this specific episode of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well and all the dialogue that follows and Jesus confronting her with her immoral lifestyle and promising her salvation. And I'm kind of sad. I hate to leave. I've fallen in love with this, this story and this woman. But we must end. Next week we'll do some Advent sermons. But, so this is the last in our series so we'll pick up as, as uh, Jesus and the woman are finishing their dialogue together in verse 25 and then skip to the results of that when she goes to town in verse 39. So John 4, 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you speak or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of Jesus' word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. For many of you, like for Janice and me, healthy is a way of life. So in more recent years, I've given attention to cardio, Hydration and diet. Who knew how important high-density nutritional foods were? Antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, fiber, superfoods. See, all this, all this new terminology. Now, what is a word to describe being highly intentional about all those things? Missional. When health is a way of life and you structure everything you do around maintaining a good, healthy lifestyle, you stay on a focused track, you're on mission for health, you could call that being missional. The Samaritan woman seems to exemplify this lifestyle. Now, she's not missional about health like many of us. She's missional about the kingdom of God. So let's talk about living missionally. That's not the same as being a missionary. Living missionally is having the gospel, the grace of Christ, 
at the core of who you are and it ultimately governs all your decisions regardless of where your mail comes to you. So I look at what this woman does. She leaves her water jar, presumably because now she has an everlasting spring of life in her, and she goes to town on mission. What transformed her? Do you want to know? I am really curious. So let's ask three simple questions. Number one, what did she do? In simplest terms, she made known the change in her life and the person responsible for the change. Jesus changed her. She went and talked about Jesus. Look again at at, uh, verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You can be sure of this. She did not return to town thinking, religion is a private matter between me and God. She did not return to Sychar in Samaria thinking, well, who am I to shove my religion down your throat? She did not return to town thinking, Jesus saved me, but it's up to you to find out for you what is most important for you as long as you're sincere. She did not return to town with derision towards the people that made fun of her, and I'll keep this gift to myself. She did not return to town thinking, I can't talk about Jesus till I go to seminary. No, she went to town and boldly made known to the folks the change in her life and the person who changed her, Jesus. And there's two stages that follow. They believed Jesus is the Son of God because of her testimony. And something compelled them out of town to go meet with Jesus. And then we read in verse 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So they believed in Jesus on the strength of her testimony, and then they met with the word of God himself and believed on the basis of Jesus' testimony. And what do you think he taught the people? I am, in fact, Messiah. And they believed it. So there's kind of two stages. And I would say that was pretty true with my experience and maybe yours. You heard the gospel for the first time, and you believe on the strength of what you heard. Okay, I'm converted now. But then you went and you started reading the Bible, talking to people, exploring the implications of Christianity, and you had a deeper convincing, a deeper confirmation, a deeper belief in what was true. Is that your experience? Anybody besides me? Come on, raise those hands. In other words, it's like this. Children, I want to speak to you for a second, from those who are listening to me all the way up through high school. You probably believe in Jesus at least because mom and dad do and you have wonderful Sunday school teachers and wonderful youth workers who also believe in Jesus. Children, you must know Jesus for yourself. That's what happened to the Samaritans. We know Jesus for ourselves. Children, adults, do you know Jesus for yourself? Many of you spend your whole life right around the corner from the truth. You know about Jesus but you haven't turned and face-to-face said, I need you. This is the day to do that. 
So what did she do? She lived intentionally. She made Jesus known in her own context. Secondly, why did she do it? This will be the longest portion of the sermon. Why did she do this? Let's suppose you go back in time and you find this woman and you say, look, I want to know more. Come to coffee with me. I'll treat. Tell me how this transformation came to pass. It is likely she would say at least this much. First, Jesus sought me. Oh, I came to the well at noon when women go to the well. I was avoiding all the crowds. I wanted to be alone. I was full of shame. But Jesus was there, and it was very clear to me. He sought me just to be with me alone. Jesus could have waited till the disciples came back from town. He could have made me exhibit A, how not to ruin your life. He could have made me exhibit A, you reap what you sow. He could have made me a teaching illustration in the, in the presence of his disciples of Proverbs 5, 6. The adulteress does not ponder the path of her feet. Or Proverbs 5, 22, the iniquities of the wicked will ensnare them. He could have done that. He did not. It was tender, loving me and Jesus. Secondly, Jesus did not reject me. Jesus engaged me on matters of eternal significance in spite of the fact of my social status, my race, my gender, my religion, my ignorance, and my prejudices. God is an equal opportunity engager. He makes no distinctions. Third, Jesus required scrutiny of my soul. This is why I went to town and told the townsfolks, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, obviously, our discussion didn't take 16 hours, and he reviewed every hour of my life. No, he knew enough about me that it was very clear. This is God. It was enough that he hit the highlights of my life for me to conclude that uh, this is a man with absolute omniscience, uh, divine knowledge of me. Beloved, you know what Proverbs 5.21 says, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all your paths. There's nothing you can hide from God. God knows everything about you. Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you believe, you think, you will give an account to God for. Everything. Nothing's hidden from God. Luke 12, 3, therefore, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered in a private room will be proclaimed on the housetops. (laughs) That should bring you to a kind of holy terror. So cheer up. You're a lot worse than you know. And you're more loved than you ever dreamt possible. Number four. You're having coffee with this woman. You're curious about the transformation. She says, Jesus convicted me of my sin. He started with the law of God. 
pretty good place to start. The law is a revelation of the glory of God's character. It is a revelation of what it means to be truly human. And I was a pretty easy case. I was living an adulterous life. So the law became a mirror to expose to me what I might have been hidden, fighting from myself. The law drove me to Jesus as a tutor. Jesus said, the man you have now is not your husband. He had to show me that sin wasn't merely breaking the rules. Sin was much more satisfying my thirst for the pleasure of God himself with inferior pleasures. That's sin. I'd substituted relationship for the pleasure of God himself. And you know, he had ample material with which to reject me. And I clearly felt the weight of the demand of the holiness God requires. And I came to realize all I had to offer Jesus was my need of cleansing, reconciliation, and forgiveness. That's all I could offer Jesus was my need. And Jesus had greater grace than my need. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Jesus taught me that he came not to bring judgment to sinners, but to bear the judgment for my sin in his body on the cross. My guilt and condemnation had to go somewhere. Jesus said, I'll take it. I'll suffer. I'll die. I'll pay the hell your sins deserve. I learned that Jesus doesn't make us good in order to accept us. He accepts us on the basis of his goodness in order to make us good. I sensed that Jesus was loving me into relationship with himself. He told me that he often invited sinners to himself with these words, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will refresh you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I was experiencing that gentle, humble heart of Jesus. Oh, the rest for the weary, those of you weary trying to be good enough for God. Those of you weary chasing a dream that never materializes. Those of you weary hiding your shame from yourself and others. Those of you wearied by your fears of being exposed as inadequate, incompetent, unlovable. Oh, the weariness. Jesus is our rest. Beloved, it's like he identified with all my weaknesses, yet he never committed any of them. His face was kind and merciful, yet his countenance holy and righteous. He grieved over my wretched wickedness, yet demanded a perfection he himself promised to supply. He seemed utterly divine, yet robed in the beauty of perfect humanity. He seemed to be serving me, yet now, my king, I delight to serve him. This Jesus seemed to bear with my infirmities as my priest, Yet he smelled the aroma of a fragrant sacrifice. And when he claimed to be Messiah, remember responding with those words, I am he, the words themselves convinced me. It seemed like instantaneously those words created in my heart the ability to believe it. Thankfully, Jesus came to call sinners to repentance among whom I was foremost. I was now free to tell others that Messiah could do for sinners what they could never do for themselves. He came to give life to the dead, sight to the blind, 
hope to the hopeless, strength to the weak, forgiveness to the guilty, righteousness to the lawless, truth to the ignorant, abundance to the destitute, freedom to the captives, health to the sick, reconciliation to the alienated. No wonder every New Testament would start with the words, every New Testament epistle, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Incidentally, I came to learn that when that grace and peace and this cross of Jesus fills your heart, you can always tell a person by the way they disagree with other people. Got more time at the coffee bar? Number five, Jesus offered me the gift of eternal life. All I could do in view of the promise, I will place in you a spring of everlasting life. All I could do is receive the gift. Take the gift. Believe the promise. Rest on the promise. That's all I could do. Saved by faith. Do you see that faith is the supernatural ability to accept God's grace even in the face of great guilt when your guilt is more real than grace? Faith is the ability to believe the promise of God. Number six, Jesus changed me. I came to see my sin as odious to God Harmful to me, harmful to others. Living by my own rules proved to be junk food for my soul. No, even worse, poison. My soul wasn't made to live according to my own rules. I'm only human when I live the way God has dictated because God created me. How foolish of me to think I could find life being my master of my own ship, the captain of my own fate. Yes, Jesus came saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom requires the king's law, not my own. What freedom. Seven, Jesus freed me for humble transparency about my brokenness. When the disciples arrived, they didn't say it, but they were surprised that Jesus was talking to a woman. I could sense their scorn. What joy. People may try to condemn me, but the one who knows me best condemned himself in my place on the cross. I felt at that moment hidden in Jesus, safe, protected, with nothing to prove and nothing to lose. Nobody wants to be punished for the sins of others. Right, let alone our bitterest enemies, this is what Jesus came to do in his death, resurrection. Still have time at the coffee bar? Eight. I was compelled to tell others. There was a new boldness, a new DNA in, in me, a new risk-taking. And so I went to town and I simply gave my testimony. I wanted to whet their appetite to discover Jesus for themselves. 
And I tentatively asked, can this be the Christ? Of course I knew it was the Christ, but who was I to preach to them about the Christ? They could easily dismiss me. Oh, you're just a woman, an immoral woman. If Jesus was to come to our town, he'd visit the good people. So I was tentative. But boy, they heard my testimony and on the strength of that, they believed. He told me all that I ever did. There was an urgency in me. I simply was reflecting the heart of Jesus who told me, as the Father sent me, so send I you. (sighs) Okay, we'll leave the coffee bar in Samaria. I have one last thing to ask you. What's the evidence you're living missionally? What's the evidence? So can you tell a stale pond from a bubbling stream? Sure. By the way it looks, by the way it sounds, by the way it smells. And therefore, in the heart of a person who's living missionally, you see movement. Perhaps these verses in Proverbs hint at that. Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Or Proverbs 13, 4, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. This is captured beautifully in Psalm 36, 8 and 9. God starts the stream flowing in us. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the rivers of your delights. Have you ever been intoxicated with the river of God's delights? Have you ever found yourself simply satisfied with those? For with you is the fountain of life. In, you, in your light we see light. When that reality is in you, you're becoming a missional person. So here are the three movements in the heart of a missional person. Number one, movement towards Jesus. This is what happened to the townspeople. They heard the woman's testimony. They believed Jesus is Messiah. What did they do? They went to Jesus. In the heart of a missional person, there's a constant, consistent moving towards Jesus. Why? Because in the presence of Jesus, you see yourself in a new light, and you see a new light in yourself. Translated, the more I know Jesus, the less impressed I am with myself. The more I know Jesus, the more impressed I am with Jesus, and the less impressed I am with myself. He is so much greater That's the conviction, the joy of a missional heart. And consequently, you're free to live for a cause greater than yourself. Look, if you're human, you are wired to live for yourself. Jesus frees you to live for a cause greater than yourself. One of the ways we figure out what that looks like is in community. We do that together as Christians. Bible studies, home groups. We do it in community. What does it look like for you, for me, for our kids to live for a cause greater than ourselves and still fulfill the duties and responsibilities God gives us in a daily life? There's a movement towards Jesus. Secondly, a movement towards others. I mean, what is the incarnation? What are we saying at Christmas time? God has moved towards us. God has become like us. God sees human brokenness and it breaks his heart. He's moved to pity, so moved that he becomes one of us in the incarnation in Jesus Christ. Stunning 
The eternal Son of God is now subjected to a body forever because of God's compassion to change this world. Missional people like God find the status quo intolerable. It is intolerable that human beings are not bringing God the glory he deserves. The status quo rots. And missional people in the pattern of Jesus are moved to do something about it. And they're asking a simple question. Where's God working? Where's God working? Where's God at work? Is he at work on my neighbors? This person at work? Where's God at work? And they stop and then they listen to people. They listen. They do a lot less talking initially and a lot more listening. Finally, in the heart of a missional person, there's not only movement towards Jesus, there's not only movement towards others, there's movement towards your own resources. And this is where it gets tricky. Because what does your money say to you? Your money says, save me, protect me, use me for what is, brings pleasure to you. Your money talks to you. And that works in the US economy, it doesn't work in the economy of God. In the economy of God, money becomes a servant to the kingdom of God in the heart of a missional person. One verse that captures this is the one I gave you in the bulletin, Proverbs 10, 24. One gives freely and has less in the bank account as a result? No, ironically. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and becomes poorer. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. And where do you see that most beautifully, dramatically, vividly illustrated? Jesus. Jesus Christ. He gave himself freely in the place of sinners to die to save them. What does he get as a result? Sinners that are his kids, brothers and sisters. Sinners rescued like this woman who becomes saints. Dear ones, holy ones, the precious possession of God. Jesus gave and became richer. Oh, in that pattern, you've experienced it in your giving. You've experienced it in the way you live. You've watered and yourself were watered. May that become an addiction in our hearts as God makes us missional as a Samaritan woman was with the DNA of Jesus in her soul. Let's pray. Lord, you sent your son into this world and he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Give us such clear sight of your glory, clear convicting ex uh, experience of your grace that we become people whose entire lives revolve around the core of Jesus' gospel and his grace. Send us to those in need, even as you found us in need. Let us be those who help the destitute, the broken, the despised, the disparaged, the disenfranchised in the pattern of Jesus seeking this woman and seeking us. Make Wallace missional to the glory of Jesus. Amen.